when you're trying to drive awareness and get the attention of a stranger, your best chance at cutting through the noise is having short form content that's highly relevant. And but once somebody knows you, it's the longer form content that's going to turn them into a much more qualified lead and a qualified buyer. Right. I, I heard not too long ago, I can't remember where from, but it was something like there was a, a some research done or a survey done on business owners that were selling a high ticket product or service. And they dug into how, well, how much time did somebody actually spend consuming your content before they bought? And the answer was something like seven hours. Really? Because these people, yeah, these people weren't making impulsive decisions. Like buyers of high ticket products and services, they got choices and they don't impulsively make that choice. They generally have a short list of companies or people that they plan to go to, to learn something specific or get help with something specific. And they're consuming your content and they're on your email newsletter and they watch some of your YouTube videos and they listen to your podcast. And there's about seven hours on average mm -hmm. that they need to spend consuming you before they have enough trust in you to give you thousands or tens of thousands of dollars. So if you were only creating short form content, you would have to do a lot of TikTok videos to get that seven <laughs> hours out, out of, of somebody's attention, right? Right. Yeah. Actually, yeah. I, actually, you know, I sounded surprised. And then I just suddenly thought I just signed up on a you know, one year mastermind program. Yep. Significant high ticket item. But I've been consuming their content for a year. Exactly. Yeah. I, yeah. I think the I think the era of you know, running an ad to a quick sales video and booking a call for a high ticket offer like that era is, is I think coming to an end because a lot of buyers were burned in that era. And now, you know, in a lot of markets, a buyer skepticism is higher. They've got their guard up higher. They want to see that you're, you know, you have some longevity in your business. You're not, you're not this fly by night person that learned how to set up a funnel and run an ad. Like you're building a real business, you're building a real brand, and you're putting out a lot of free stuff that's helpful for people so that they can build trust in you before they buy from you. Right. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, I'm laughing because you mentioned ChatGPT, and I'm already seeing people selling yeah. um, the, you know, expert programs on chat. <laughs> and I'm going, expert programs on a four-month-old product. Yeah, yeah. okay. That's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and in are... terms of attention spans when it comes to delivering content like an online workshop mm -hmm. how much how much is too much you know how much before you start to lose people because i know when yeah. i'm sitting I, and i'm i'm guilty sometimes i'm multitasking if i'm listening yeah. to something that's online it's a workshop and i maybe have my earpods in and then i'm also yeah. doing something else no, that's, that's a great question. It's a timely question too, because just this week I was helping my wife create the content for one of her workshops. She's in the middle of training a group of educators how to create their own workshops. Okay. And yesterday just happened to be the session on presentation skills for workshop facilitators. And uh, actually I used ChatGPT. I went and I said, so I'll give you an example of how you could use a tool like that. But I went over to ChatGPT and I said, hey, what are the most common mistakes that workshop presenters make. And then it spit out about 10 responses for me. And then I also asked a different version of that question, which was like, what are the most common complaints that participants have when they attend a workshop? And one of them on both of the lists, both, one of the answers was too, too much info. Like you, you overwhelmed the participants right. uh, by giving them, you know, too much info. And this happens a lot among people who are legitimate experts at what they do and educators who they've got all the credentials they get, they've got years of experience. And ironically, they've also got imposter syndrome that they're not good enough or qualified enough. And 
right? So there's a real tendency to overshare because they're trying to prove themselves and also prove that their workshop is super valuable. Right. And But from the attendee's perspective, if you're giving them anything that's not absolutely necessary to whatever the promised outcome of that workshop was, then what you're actually doing is overwhelming them with stuff that, yeah, might have been nice to include, but you could have taken it out and it and it wouldn't have um, made the workshop any less valuable right. to a participant. So a great way to prevent yourself from oversharing or overteaching is before you design any sort of a workshop or webinar or course or whatever, is just very clearly identify the main takeaway that you want a participant to walk away with. Like, what is the actual outcome that you want somebody to walk away with from your workshop? And then that outcome, you're probably going to have to break it up into a few steps or a few a few key concepts. I like the number three. You know, I, I pick a main outcome for the workshop and I'll divide that workshop into like three sections. And then um, in each of those sections, I'll chip away at whatever information or, or examples are, are needed to help like, you know, transfer just the exact amount, the bare minimum necessary information that will help that person get that concept. And then you can do a Q&A session, right? If, you know, after you get right. through your main content, you can, and even in between these sessions and, you know, you take breaks throughout the workshop to check in with people, make sure there's, they, you know, see if they have questions, make sure you didn't confuse them and hang around at the end for a little bit longer to, to ask some questions. And a lot of those times, those questions are, are, you know, something extra. It's, it's the answer to that question is, is, is bonus training, right? But it might not have actually been critical to the, hmm. The outcome and it, and is there a certain length? I mean, should it be one workshop? Should it be three? Should it be fifteen? I, I, I yeah, guess so again, it's, it depends on the subject. Depend, depends on the outcome because whatever the outcome you're promising somebody is, if you can get somebody that outcome in an hour and a half with you, then then do it. Like nobody's going to complain that you took that you took you got them exactly what they wanted too quickly. <laughs> <laughs> like that's not really a complaint that people have. They have right. the opposite complaint that, hey, you you took too long and this could have been trimmed and this could have been shorter. So as long as you're clear on the outcome, you can you can work backwards from that outcome and figure out exactly how much time it takes. And I I, I know of 60-minute workshops that have been effective. I've seen two three-hour workshops or half-day workshops that are effective. I've seen three-day workshops that are effective. But it's all it all ties back to was that actually how much time? that you, the entrepreneur, you, the, the presenter and facilitator of that workshop legitimately needed to get your participant their, their desired outcome. Now, that being said, regardless of how long the workshop is, as you're going through this content, his attention span does tend to tap out around 30 to 40 minutes. So you, okay. I wouldn't plan for any specific session or concept that you're covering to stretch too much longer than that. Like for every key concept that you've got in a workshop, try to spend 30, 40 minutes on it and then take a pause, take a break, check in, see if there's questions or have an engagement or a discussion or a bio break or, or whatever. But so that, you know, your your four hour workshop is not four hours of you, you know, pounding a bunch of information down everybody's right. throats. It's actually your four hour workshop is actually divided into three or four you know, sections with some breaks and some interaction. Yeah. What are the things that people need to consider if they're, if they're running a free workshop versus mm -hmm. a paid because i i would imagine paid you're you're going to get 
attendance is going to be high because somebody's yeah. put money in the game, so they're going to turn up. And probably the numbers are going to be smaller. I'm generalizing, but that's probably the case. But I mean, I, I'm just thinking, you were talking about March 2020, and there's a real estate club that I help their market with their marketing and, and events. And we ran the last in-person event like less than a week before everything shut down. Yep. We had 300 people turn up in person. And then wow. we had to, we had to go, whoop, we got to switch it. And we did, we were really fast and we got a webinar like going the following week and we had 800 <laughs> register because nobody had ever heard of it. It's probably a little bit like you and your wife's business. Um, but now as, as we've continued that over the, the COVID period of COVID, obviously the numbers yeah. are the registration numbers are dropping, attendance percentages are dropping. So what, what, what can be an expectation around a free workshop and, and what should you be considering around you know, content and, and everything else from that aspect? Yeah, with, and I, I noticed this trend with webinars because even before I, I, I left, before I left Thinkific, I spent about three years there as their content manager and one of the one of the most effective drivers of our growth was weekly webinars. We did a free webinar every week. We would teach people the five steps to creating an online course and then do a quick product demo at the end of the webinar. And that worked really well for, for years, but we still saw the numbers that the cost of getting somebody to register was, was starting to creep up, particularly if we'd used paid advertising. The show up rates were starting to decline a little bit and conversion rates from free registrations to customers, you know, it was hard to, to protect and maintain those good, a good conversion rate. And I found the same thing happened with the, with clients I was working with. Some of my first clients when I left Thinkific were people that want to help with webinars, same challenge. Show up rates were, were like, we were fighting declining show up rates and higher advertising costs. And that's when switching to having people do workshops, uh, started to become more effective than webinars, I think for two reasons. Number one, because I would tell these, these entrepreneurs to charge. Charging, even if it's like 20 bucks, 30 bucks, 40 bucks, right. it just brings in a different kind of a person. It brings in somebody that was willing to pull out a credit card. We've just turned them into a buyer. And so we're not wondering if that person can ever be a buyer or not. They just showed us that they're a buyer. Didn't, right. didn't matter what the amount was. And the show up rates went up. Show up rates for paid workshops are as high as like 80, 90 per I'm still seeing with free webinars and even if you're doing, you know, email marketing and posts on social media and some retargeting and nudge people along, it's still like, you know, in most cases, somewhere between 30 to 50% show up rate. Okay. So with webinars, the strategy and what a lot of people come to expect of a free webinar is that it's going to be informational at first and then shift to a pitch. Yep. And you as the creator of that webinar, you're going to expect like, high volume, but lower conversion rates, like lower show up rates, and then even lower conversion rate from attendee to buyer, because a lot of free people just aren't actually interested in becoming buyers, the, the people that register for free stuff. Whereas with a paid workshop, I've seen as high as like 50% of the attendees on a paid workshop say yes to, to a higher priced offer or booking a call, you know, for a consultation, if you're, you know, a service provider or a consultant or a coach or whatever, and your sales process begins with a call. And I've seen much higher conversion rates from a paid workshop to somebody to book a call if they're interested in becoming a client. And there's a difference with the content too. So a webinar, whenever I do a webinar, it's still informational in nature. It's, hey, three steps to accomplish this, five steps to accomplish that. It's like how to, 
information, right. right? And yes, you throw in some case studies and some stories and some proof that your information works. And then there's usually a, a pitch at the end. With the workshop, however, I'm not trying to teach somebody a how-to process. What I'm trying to do is help them accomplish a very specific outcome that sets them up for being a client. Okay. So if you're if you're a service provider, for example, you've probably got like this series of steps that you take clients through. And so you could you could isolate one of those, the first one or two steps that you do with a client and do that with them on a workshop format. You know, if you're, you know, maybe you're like you build websites for people or something. Well, maybe the first step is like auditing their current site or it's outlining a brand strategy or whatever. Whatever the first step is, deliver that in a workshop setting. Then you're actually getting them to do the work of, of, of accomplishing the first step that makes them more qualified to work with you. And in the case of real estate investing, like if you were, a, if you had to, if there were, you were trying to attract real estate investors, there's probably a couple of things that you have a real estate investor do before you like decide to, that you can take their money. Like there might be something you have to teach them or you have them, or you have some sort of a qualification process. And so if you just took them through that process in a workshop format, then technically you can take a bunch of people through that process at the same time. Right. So you're, le have, you're leveraging your time versus you're leveraging the one-on-one-on-one-on-one. On one on one on one. Okay. Yeah. Makes, makes total sense. And, and I guess if you're also, as you say, getting them to put their money, your hand in their pocket, mm -hmm. you've already pre-qualified them as a potential buyer yeah. because you know they've gone that far. That, that makes a ton of sense. And what are the mistakes that you see people make around, you know, content marketing and, and workshops in particular? With workshop, with workshops in particular, some of the most common mistakes are, we've touched on one, but it's like oversharing too much content. Workshops are, you know, they're kind of disguised as teaching, like there's a teaching component to it, but really you should be helping somebody get something done. Like you should be helping them to, to implement something. Another mistake is not validating the topic. So before you even go down this road of preparing your content and maybe some implementation resources or a worksheet and then funnels and then emails and then ad campaigns, like all that stuff, before you create all that stuff, I would validate the demand for your workshop to begin with. So if you've got an email list or you've got some followers on social media or a bunch of people in a Facebook group, for example, you can say like, hey, we're thinking of putting together this workshop that helps you to accomplish XYZ. It's probably going to be a couple hours. If you're interested, send us a message or leave us a comment or reply to this email. And if you don't get any interest, you probably shouldn't do it. You should, you should. Either that or your messaging is terrible. <laughs> your, your messaging's off or your topic is off. So right. figure out what was off and, and change it. And then, and then do something live before you even consider going down that road of automating it or selling a recording, just do it live, get the feedback. You might end up tweaking some of your content. You'll, you'll get some practice and you might, you might then, if the workshop goes well, decide that, Hey, now we're going to, we're going to sell the recording. We're going to automate this thing and scale it up or, or we're just going to rinse and repeat. And we're going to keep, you know, building our email list with these free resources over here. And every month or two, we're going to do a live workshop to help convert some of those newer leads into right. buyers and into, you know. I, th I think it was Russell Brunson. This is from webinars, but I think he mm -hmm. said, deliver live for the first year. Mm -hmm. Deliver one every month, same webinar, you'll tweak yep. it every time. And then yep. by the end of 12, you've probably got it pretty much dialed in. I, I remember one of Thinkific's most successful clients was this guy named John Lee, John Lee Dumas, Podcaster's Paradise yep. was his yep. program. 
And for years, he was doing a weekly live webinar. Same presentation, same offer over right. and over and over and over again. I don't even know if he ever automated how he sold that program. It right. was just, but it worked, you know, it right. works. Yeah. And you get better every time. Like, how could you not get better at something that you do so many right. times? So true. So there's a couple of questions I like to ask my guests before we sure. kind of wrap up and give people an opportunity to, to kind of get in touch and find out where they can find out more from you. Okay. What favorite personal brand? Who, who do you like and, and why? Ooh, I'm actually learning a lot from Ryan Moran right now. Okay. Capitalism.com. Right. My wife and I are considering creating physical products for early childhood educators for her market. And so I'm going down this rabbit hole right now of learning about e-commerce brands and building physical product businesses. Okay. What about a, a favorite business book or podcast? I'm seeing lots of books behind you if people are, yeah. are watching on the video. So I'm assuming you might know a good one or two. Favorite business book? Let me think. What was like? I mean, the, the, the classics were the Robert Kiyosaki ones. Those are the ones that kind of set me down the path of entrepreneurship. But a more recent one was a DeMarco's books, a Millionaire Fast Lane oh. was what was my favorite of his, but he's got a few. Okay. Good one. Yeah. All right. And do you have a favorite new, apart from chat GPT, probably a favorite new yeah. piece of technology that you're enjoying using? No, I've been sticking to my, to the same like tech stack for a while now. I use active campaign for email marketing, thrive themes for websites and funnels. I have been testing drop funnels for a couple of workshop funnels lately, drop funnels because they have good, good sales pages and checkout pages combined. It's a good okay. product. All right. And do you have a favorite quote that either inspires 